0: To start off for tonight, um, if you happen to have your Bibles with you, um, I would love for you to, uh, to read with me. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 15, if you turn to verse 11, and it's uh, referring to Jesus, and it says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt Compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat. And celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look! All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we delve into your word, I pray that our hearts would be illumined to see the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. I pray that we would find ourselves saying with the Father, it was fitting to be glad and celebrate. And I pray that we would join in the rejoicing. I pray that you would cause love in our hearts. For out of ourselves, we do not have love. Your word says that we love because you have first loved us. And so I pray that your love would create our own. And that we would find our happiness in you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All men seek happiness, reflected Blaise Pascal, a 17th century French mathematician. Whatever means, A woman or man employs to govern the actions of his life. His goal is to obtain, not only to obtain, but to maximize his happiness. Perhaps one will seek happiness in hedonistic pleasure, or perhaps he will seek it in stoic self-denial. One might entrust himself to the glowing veneer of riches, or he may find masochistic enjoyment in his own harm. No matter the means, the great end of every decision, every impulse, every thought, every passion, every whim of desire is this, to maximize his happiness. It is also true that all men desire love. Billions of souls share every moment of modern history. And one might imagine that such contemporaries would find inexhaustible occasions to experience and know love among each other. But at every turn of the TV channel or the street... The modern man is presented with a thousand reasons to despair and innumerable affronts to his desire for love even within himself. For love is presented by merchants as something quantifiable and buyable. By the news media, as something done with ulterior motives and therefore polluted. And by the entertainment industry as something containing copious amounts of dazzle, glitter, in sensuality, love has become to the modern man a nice notion for children that is impractical and long forgotten or pushed out of his mind. He has met the world, and the world has met him, and neither has come away unscathed. It is a plain fact that not all men obtain maximal happiness. Indeed, do any. It is an incredible and lamentable irony that happiness has its way of eluding those who try to catch it. The thing people most greatly desire and seek being the very thing outside of their desperate grasp. And many who do, in fact, find some pleasure, yes, even some happiness, in the pursuits of their lives are invariably left feeling that they have obtained a second-rate, hollow happiness and have been cheated in some way, whether by coincidence, caprice, or malice has the universe turned its back on them because of some unknown cosmic scandal. I say these things not merely as an observer of some kind of strange and horrific phenomenon, but as one who has been subjected to such alienation along with the rest of humanity, we have experienced firsthand the death of happiness. Happiness was created for love. The wrong pursuit of love or its abandonment altogether has had the cataclysmic result that happiness can no longer function the way it was intended to. It is indeed a hollow happiness, and we have cheated ourselves. Although we seek happiness in everything we do, we have divorced it from love and have thereby made two separate paths to travel where only one should be. When you love something, you must hate its opposite in equal measure. To the degree that you love money and the feeling of security that wealth brings, then you will hate the loss of money With equal measure. To the degree that you love food in the sense of satisfaction it provides, then you will hate hunger with equal measure. To the degree that you love another person, to that same extent will you hate the dishonoring and harm of that person. We have made a departure from the right pursuit of love, then, because love is magnificently dangerous. Whatever we choose to love can be taken from us. So we expose ourselves to the risk of experiencing a hated fate. If we lose what we love most, it will feel like the very taking away of ourselves. Therefore, it is much safer not to love at all unless there is a way to love what cannot be destroyed, stolen, or lost. We have willingly submitted ourselves to a law of death, and this law imprisons everything we might do to be happy under the fetter of futility because the key of love is not present to unlock our chains. Happiness that does not find its consummation is in love is fraudulent and counterfeit. In our lives, we have undermined our own happiness by refusing to expose ourselves to that dangerous element called love. When the Lord Jesus teaches the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, which could more appropriately be called the parable of the two lost sons or the parable of the waiting father, he means to display the extravagant love that welcomes the loveless home. It may surprise you to hear that this parable is not only about the younger son, the traditionally named prodigal son. Jesus begins in Luke fifteen eleven by setting a context of a father who has two sons. Thus, there are three main actors in the story, not just one. And Jesus teases out many parallels between the younger son's reckless living away from the father and the older son's proud heart in the presence of his father. After taking great pains to draw many parallels between the two sons throughout the parable, Jesus leaves the story with deep and unresolved tension about whether or not the older son will join in the party. In the end, the father will have the final word regarding love and happiness. In verses 12 and 13, we see that the younger son leaves the presence of his father, takes his share of the inheritance into a far country, and wastes it in reckless living. So often, we associate the younger son with drunkards, partying, and prostitutes. But we aren't actually told what this son's reckless living entailed in this part of the story. Do you know where we find any specifics of what the younger son did? From the older son, in verse 30, who says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. We aren't told the specifics earlier in the parable because the specifics aren't the point of what's being shared. The point, according to verse 14, is that, quote, when he, the younger son, had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the land, and he began to be in need. His resources had run out. He was in desperate straits. And he had need. However, the older son camped not on his brother's needs, but on his misdeeds. Jesus says that to satisfy his needs, the younger son hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, a place where no one gave him anything. He went to the fields thinking that somehow he would find satisfaction there. That his needs would be met by his labor. Do you know who else in the story was in the fields seeking satisfaction? The older son, as we see in verse 25. And it says, now his older son was in the field. Of course, it was natural for the older son to be in the field in this kind of a culture. But what is notable is that the older son remained there through the end of the story. Verse 28 says, he, the older son, was angry and refused to go in. That is, into the father's home to celebrate. Neither son was able to satisfy his needs by remaining in the fields of labor Moreover, when the younger son came to himself in verse 17 and realized that his incessant hunger would end by returning home, he intended to go back to his father as a hired servant. He acutely understood the nature of his physical cravings and sought to satisfy them, though he failed to see that needs greater than food could be met by his father. We see a similar attitude in the older son in verse 29. He says, Look, These many years I have served you, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. The older son was already living in his heart as a servant to his father, expecting happiness that was not motivated by love for his father, nor tied to the love of his father for him. When the younger son was returning to his father in verse 20, we learn that the father saw him While he was still a long way off and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It is not accidental that Jesus indicated earlier in the story that the younger son took a journey into a far country because the purpose was to show that the father's love was not diminished by the distance of his son's folly. For when the father saw his son a long way off, he ran to him. The father's love did not become a short-distance love because his son had engaged in long-distance rebellion. The father's love did not diminish in distance, duration, or magnitude by anything his younger son did. Nonetheless, surely we can understand why the younger son had rehearsed his speech in verses 18 and 19. He said, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The son was shamed by his own actions. He knew that he had wronged his father Treated him as dead by asking for the inheritance, and that he did not deserve to return home. After the father ran to his son, embracing and kissing him, we see in verse 21 that the son began to play out this rehearsed speech from before. But before he could recite his final sentence of shame from verse 19, where he said, treat me as one of your hired servants, his father interjected, cutting off the son's monologue of regret and called on one who was a servant to prepare for the celebration of his son's return. And what of the older son? The father came to him as well in verse 28. Note again the location just as a father met the younger son in the field so too the father met the older son in the field for the older son refused to come into the party which of these two sons had the harder heart do you think the one who had fled from his father or the one who had always been with his father Consider that in verse 21, the younger son confesses his sin to his father. While in verse 30, the older son confesses not his own sin, but his brother's. Consider again that in verse 21, the younger son does not see himself as worthy to be treated as a son. While in verse 30, the older son does not see his father as worthy of being called his father. Indeed, it is telling that within this entire parable from Jesus, the older son is the only one who never says father. The younger son says father five times. Even from the beginning of the story, he asks for his share of the inheritance. He addresses his father as father The servants speak of the father to the older son when he asks what the celebration is about. And the narration itself makes clear that the entire warp and woof of this story hinges on the relationship of a father with his two sons. With the word father coming up an additional six times, not to mention the varied references to sons. But the older son never says father. Who do you think had the harder heart? Who do you think was less happy? Who was farther from love? Consider then, how does this parable relate to all men seeking happiness and all men desiring love? Consider first the context of joy in the chapter of Luke 15, the story of the two lost sons is actually the third of its kind that Jesus is presenting. In verses 1 to 7, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. In finding the sheep, in verse 5, Jesus says that the one who finds the sheep goes on rejoicing. And then that man calls his friends and neighbors in verse 6 to do what? Rejoice with me. And Jesus summarizes that parable by saying, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Then, in verses 8 and 10, Jesus shares another parable, that of the lost coin. The woman, searching for and at last finding the lost coin, calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me! And Jesus concludes in verse 10... Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus transitions to the parable of the two lost sons. What do you think is the theme? In verse 24, we see that because the younger son returned home, they began to to celebrate. In verse 25 speaks of music and dancing. The parable concludes in verse 32 with these words. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found. The theme of these parables through and through is joy and repentance and love. And the climax of the final parable is the restoration and reconciliation of relationship. Now, I have waited until this point to direct your attention to something particularly critical to understanding these parables. Luke tells us why Jesus chose these parables For this occasion. And he does so in verses 1 to 3. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Tax collectors and sinners reflect the younger son and his repentance. The Pharisees and the scribes reflect the older son and his grumbling. The repentant sinners were the ones in the party while the Pharisees stood outside with a father beseeching them to come in and celebrate. Just as the father welcomed the prodigal son home and celebrated, so Jesus received sinners and ate with them. Just as the father went out to the older son and invited him into the party, so Jesus was calling the Pharisees to celebrate the restoring of relationship with a loving God. This is because happiness had found its best expression and love that rejoiced to restore the lost. Indeed, the younger son's joy was found to exist only in the context of his father's love. From the day he had left his father's love to pursue happiness, he had in fact lost happiness in a thousand trivialities. He believed that he needed to be freed from his father's love, that something or someone else could unlock the chains of his heart when, in fact, he needed to recognize and enjoy the love that was already there. Moreover, the older son had missed out on happiness altogether because he lived like a slave before his father rather than like a son. He believed that relationship with his father had to be earned. So he worked hard and shackled his own joy, and he could not rejoice over a brother who had never worked for his father's love but received it all the same. He refused to go with his father when beckoned into a multitude celebrating the repentance of one who had been lost. A multitude of men and women like the older and younger son seek happiness, therefore, and do not find it, because they do not realize that happiness has been seeking them out and can be obtained in infinite measure for eternal pleasure through the magnanimous love of the Father. The walls. People build against love like the walls of Jericho are sheltering their own destruction and the Father intends to destroy these walls with celebration. These myriads of people have been desiring a love in this wide world that is truly nearer than their thoughts. If they would only turn in faith to God, if they would only accept the extravagant, and seemingly wasteful, yes, prodigal love of God who beckons them into a glorious love feast. That's what we celebrated this morning at communion, a feast where we rejoice around the sacrifice of Christ. When you consider the prospect of entering at any time, into the Father's love and remaining there with Him in utter delight. Why would you refuse? Why should you stand outside of the party when infinite joy is offered to you through a love that cannot be destroyed, stolen, or lost? A love that you are made to experience and express a love whose hated fate, namely separation, is not something we have to fear. Your pursuit of happiness is realized and maximized only when completed by the love of God. His love for you and your love for Him, which is a love that derives from His. You were made to know and be known by this God. So, Will you dwell in a far country? Will you stand just outside the party? Will you grumble that God rejoices to restore sinners to repentance? Will you deny the happiness of the love of the Father? Will you continue to cheat yourself of the delight of the presence of God? Or will you pray with joy and humility? The way is open before me. So here am I. Abba, Father. I walk into your love and celebrate. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. That a word from your scripture does not have to be new to our ears in order for you to make it new to our hearts. So I pray that this word would have a transformational impact on how we relate to you. I pray that it would be piercing, dividing to the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow that it would cause us to be able to discern the thoughts and intents of our own hearts. I pray that your word here would be a mirror for us. For whenever we sin, whenever we turn away from you, we are behaving as one of these sons. But we know that you are happy to receive us in repentance. So I pray that you would soften our hearts, turn us to you, and bring us to a place of rejoicing in the love that you offer freely. And do this through the work, the sacrifice, and the life of Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Bennett. Let's take a few minutes to to get together and pray in groups and, and truly pray that God would would convict us through through his word, that we would truly see the extravagant love of the Father, that we would be changed, transformed by it, and, and even praying for those we know that are like the older son, that are stubborn, refusing the love of the Father when it is, is right there at hand. So let's take a few minutes, we'll, we'll pray together in, in groups, and then I'll close us in a few minutes. Father, we thank you. We do thank you, Father, for your great love, Lord, that you have poured out on everyone here tonight who is a believer, Father. We, we can't help but, but smile when we read the verses about the angels rejoicing in heaven every time one sinner repents, Father. If... For each one here that's a believer tonight, that has happened for you. The angels have rejoiced, Father, over our repentance. And Father, your love is such a free gift. We all know loved ones, family, friends, Father, that don't yet know you, that are stubbornly standing out in the field. Or Father, younger ones that are are out living a life that is not glorifying to you, squandering away your love, Father in either case all we have to do is surrender so father i pray i pray that you would use us father in this mission field that you would use us for your kingdom to be spread here on this earth father that we would faithfully proclaim your truth proclaim your great love to the world around us father that that more sinners may repent that more rejoicing may happen in heaven father that your great love would be made known by us, to this world, Father, for your honor and for your glory. So help us, Father, as we go out tonight to love you as we ought to, Father, to not expect your love or to, or to think that we somehow earned your love, Father, or to come wallowing before you as if you're were, you were a father who won't forgive because, Father, your love is free a free gift that has been given to us. So I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of those things tonight as we go out this week, and that we would truly be ambassadors for you in this world. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.